Welcome back to the Nightlife Podcast, Season 4, Episode 6. Guys, I have an amazing interview for you today. Uh, we are going to be speaking to Teva O'Halloran, better known as the Queen of Clubs. That's also how uh, what her book is called, too. This is basically Studio 54. I'd say on steroids a little bit because this is the female version of Studio 54 um, in England. That's how I feel about it after speaking you know, with her and after uh, reading her book. Guys, her story, amazing, motivating any woman out there who is thinking about the possibility of ever growing in this industry, owning not just one, but a few different clubs, different venues, grow in the industry, do it for a long time. Seriously, this is a good episode for you. Yeah, it's motivational. She'll, you know, tell you a t few tips off and, you know, the way she did it and the way that maybe you should do it too. Um, and definitely it's uh, a good one for the guys too, because we need to start listening to women. We need to start, start paying attention to them in the industry, um, you know, not just as bartenders or waitresses or hostess you know we gotta look at them as equals and and i bet you we are going to end up finding a lot of new potential out there so anyway without further ado i bring in teva o'halloran welcome to the nightlife podcast how are you thank you i'm well thank you good to be here Awesome. I love that accent. You have no idea how excited I, I get when I'm interviewing people on the other side of, you know, the ocean, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, and also the fact that it is, you know, a completely different time zone. Um, you know, what I mean? early morning for me. Exactly. And I'm so sorry that I'm making you go through this. I am not a morning person. I was I was like. Well you know, before before I got the call, I was before you know got in the call. I was like, I wonder if she's gonna be having coffee. Should I get some tea? <laughs> Make it very you know English. Um, yeah, British. Well, you can you can have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taylor. So all right. So let's dive in. Why don't you tell um, our listeners you know right away who you are, what you do, or what you have you know you know what sure. you're known for in the industry, pretty okay. much. So I guess my book, Queen of Clubs, was covering a span of about 15 years, um, starting off from my very first club, stepping into professional club life, which was a party girl. Um, okay. So <laughs> it was set in London, East London, so really cool, very gritty, underground clubs. So I started there, traveled my way through somehow managed to scrape together capital, really big idea, set up my own nightclub in East London and then progressed to own another and another and another. Um, and then now I work on the other side of um, the night and usually it's more daytime work. <laughs> but right. it's been, yeah. When you say the other side of the night, what um, can you explain a little bit? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so as most people who work in the industry, it's grueling, long, exciting, and um, I'm a mum now, so it is a um, it's a it's a juggle. So we stepped away, and I now work in 
big activations for food brands, um, experiential events, curating art shows, festivals. Um, a lot of the things that I love about the nightlife, which is creating these amazing experiences for people, whether it be music, entertainment, gorgeous clubs, cool experiences, I get to kind of do now for other people, um, for people to enjoy. So that's really cool. So I'm still working in the industry, but I would say a much tamer version. Right. Let me ask you a question. You you say party girl. What? Yeah. What? When you say party girl, everybody that that maybe has a, a different meaning for every person. You know, um, what what would you say defines party girl for you? Okay. So for me, this is purely my example. Um, when I came, I moved from Sydney. Very quiet. I was studying acting, doing an actress, a lot of theatre. Had this feeling that I was bored, restless, something else was out there. And um, consequences kind of changed. I broke up with my boyfriend and jumped on a plane and went to London. Now, this was explosive, exciting, like bars, restaurants, clubs. People went out, they socialised, whereas Sydney's quiet. Maybe you go out on a Saturday night, you know, every couple of weeks. There's no big atmospheric nightlife. Um, and even more so now, which I guess is a different story, which maybe we can talk on later, which is how industry changes. But for me, I landed in London. So it would have been 15 years ago, and it's electric. It was every party was incredible. Every single night there was something on. And within this tiny little hub of shortage, it got to a point where a lot of people, it's this community, this tiny little ecosystem where everyone was in a band, they were, in a de they were DJing, they were a club promoter, they were a gases girl photographer, drug dealer, you name it, every single person was in the industry. And out, they were out every single night. And I stepped into it purely because I lived with someone who worked in one of these big clubs, the biggest club in Shortage, and, you know, they needed a door a door girl. So I don't know what you guys call it in the US, but it can be anything from guestess girl, door hall, you know, VIP, clipboard, whatever you, your name is right. for it. But popped me on the door and I was hooked from day one. It was just a really incredible experience. And then I just, you know, from being someone who went out five nights a week, um, you know, had that kind of Monday off and then something quiet. We, we hmm. went out a lot and had this community of yeah, this is, this is my 20s. So, you know, people were out all the time. And from, you know, so I guess a party girl is someone who's up, you know, up for going out. You know, it goes from a quiet after-work beer to, you know, super club at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and just enjoying this really rich, exciting nightlife. And then traveling into working for a really big, tough, hard-ass club owner um, and learning everything from, from him and then being um, brought up into the role of promotions and booking manager for the club. Okay, got it. So then really getting him. And then I was in. So it was um, booking up and coming bands like, I mean, like, I don't know if it's going to be a crossover here, but people like Florence and the Machine or Palermo Faith a lot of really cool, and these were like when there were 10 people in the 
Was there, was, there, was there any reason why you were the one picked for that job or was it you that went for it? Or? Look, it was kind of opportunity, blind ignorance as well of kind of hmm. going, yeah, I can do this. And this, um, you know, this underlying can-do attitude of just stepping up and going, sure. You know, I, I walked in there and said, I can do this. And the guy who the club owner always hires young, vibrant people, and they're usually females. Um, which is interesting, who have their finger on the pulse, like I said. So, you know, where the parties are, who the promoters are, what's going on in town, and tapping into that. Um, right. So at the time, there was a really strong kind of electronic, dub, dance, heavy um, movement, and it came with quite repetitive kind of booking and acts so he wanted to kind of tap into at the time in London there was a vet, like massive live um lots of band like loads of cool bands and right. wanted to integrate like in, incorporate a lot of um up and coming people rather than just booking headline acts and that was under my suggestion because you had this budget going on one name and you had to rely on them pulling in the crowd interacting and promoting and that just kind of like it, it kind of was losing its charm especially in somewhere underground like shorties people don't want to people didn't want to pay for this cover charge this experience they can go to higher capacity better fitted out clubs for that big dj experience these were bloody little underground rooms and different stages so you can right. kind of build this atmosphere through different rooms with a band in here it might be a dj set by a really cool band or it might be um, then, you know, late night pies, all kind of put together. Um, so it was it was a, a combination of he needed someone, I put my hand out and just jumped in. Right. Um, so I, I imagine at that point, you know, the difference between working daytime and nighttime is one thing. Uh, how about money-wise? Was at that point money a good thing? in the nightlife like unbelievable so i went from earning minimum wage to being a cashed up 25 year old so what came with that was i guess my next level commitment to party life because cash is king right um and it went from being you know they're lower as well, but there's so much money. There is, there used to be, I think, a lot of money in the industry, and I think there is now definitely. But it was a different world. It was cash, cover charges, and you know, it, it was it. It also was a wild club, and it was and it was broke, and he was a very creative operator. So it was. You know, so it was, it was a, you know, the money's exciting and the money's incredible uh, and it's addictive. Definitely. I mean, that's one of the things I hear all the time is that part. And, 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 and it affected me too. I mean, when I got into it, I, I started, it was more of a hobby I mean, uh, thing at first. And I was like, you know, I like to party. Why not throw a few parties over here, over there? I started as a, as a, promo, a promoter um, and it, it just, you know, it was beautiful when i started seeing the money i was like whoa um definitely i think the word addictive um goes well with that um so you mentioned something which is 
a lot of women are, you know, usually when club owners are hiring people, are looking for women, are looking for girls, you know, for bartenders, for waitressing, cocktails, for the door, you know, even yeah. the position that you're talking about of, of you know, booking even, you know, um, there's a lot of positions. Um, and and maybe what I, from what I see, I don't know what your experience is, it, it kind of stops at management. You know, it's like... Yeah. That's as far as it goes. Uh, what what, yeah. what do you have to say about that? Loads. Um, <laughs> so I guess my, what you covered off is, you know, we're door girls, we're pretty faces, we're fancy dresses, we're people who upsell drinks, we're people who push bottle service. And that is something that instantly I noticed, but instantly fought against, fought against because that's my nature. Because you're saying I can't do what I want to do it. You know, I was started DJing to get, in really quickly because there's not a lot of female DJs and with club promoting it was shortage was very progressive so there's lots of girls club promoting there was lots of girls DJing there was lots of girls booking bands managing bands so there's this really cool push where from this collective creative side I think absolutely there was a lot of girls driving in there and it was you know it was I would say well I don't think it would be equal but I think as soon as you start getting into that technical side of it, which is management structure, um, you know, moving past that manager, like there was a couple of bar managers, but you would never see a GM or you would never see a, um, you, you didn't see it. And I think for me, my experience in clubs was I worked for this one, um, this one owner and he had a few venues. And I got to the point where I realized um, that I wanted to open my own venue and I had all these ideas. But it was very much when I transitioned from this creative, cool collective of people doing this underground seat into the mm. structure of business plans, applying for finances, mm. uh, speaking to lawyers, solicitors, counselors, right. negotiating leases. I had a business plan with mail. Okay. And instinctively, always, always like, hi, nice to meet you. Oh, is this your assistant? Or can I speak to your boss? Can I speak to the owner of the business? It was very much. And the, if like, as far as from the two sides of it, which is that kind of like your comrades in the industry, I don't think that there's, there's no gender difference whatsoever. It's like if you're doing something cool and progressive, you're in. If you're yeah. friendly, bubbly, cool and kind, you're in. If you're great to party with, if you've got you know, great personality, or you've got something cool to offer. I think that's, I think that's a, it's something, something for everyone because you can make your own life. And that's what I love. But as soon as I hit the business, and I cover this off a lot in the book, it was always very, can I speak to your boss or can I speak to the owner? Even when the police was it, right. you know, middle of running the club, I'm there running the club, the police had come down for a licensing check. Right. And I the, the relationship with this owner that you were with, you know, for a while, how long, yeah. how, how long were you part of that team? <laughs> so, um, I was with him for three years from a, I was on a sponsored visa for three years because it was quite a, um, it was difficult because I'm Australian and I moved to London, I was there for 15 years. So he sponsored me, but I'd been in that country for a few more years, kind of on the party scene. And then I went to opening my own club. Um, and things went really messy with the owner. Um, 
I, I don't know. You know, I was unfortunately arrested. Um, okay. Sorry, they went. Uh, they went bad. As uh, we're talking the relationship with you or things bad for him in general. <laughs> my relationship with him. Right. Which was, uh, you know, to be fair, it was a pattern which is people would build up all of these really cool club night promoter contacts, and then they would realize that actually, you know, he was a really unpleasant man and things get sour and then he turns over and gets something new and fresh. And there's new music coming in, there's new contacts. So he's not stupid. He, you know, brings in whoever's on the scene at the time, he brings them in, loads of cash, loads of, you know, and it's it's a 20-hour-a-day job, yeah. you know, when you're working in that kind of thing, in that up-and-coming role, it's very much, you're in the office, bang, bang on, you know, it was 10 o'clock, a bit relaxed. Bang on mm -hmm. 10 o'clock, booking bands, promoters negotiating. You know, in those days it was my face. Um, mm -hmm. But banging socials, creating artwork, working with designers. So you did a full day's work, then you went home, got changed, and come back to the club. You know, right. so it's a super unhealthy lifestyle when you are potentially, you know, living for that kind of night experience. And then you go around and do it again. And, and there's burnout. It's bur as everyone knows, there's a massive burnout rate. So things ended really badly with him. Let me ask uh, you. Let me ask you something before you go on to that. Um, how long did it take you, or or was it related in any way, um, to go from you know party girl to this job and being in the industry, um, doing all that, all that you know hard work that you're talking about, and and falling. Um, into, uh, I believe you, you, you talk in the, in the book about uh, an addiction, um, that is, is it due to the nightlife? Is it not, you know, have, has, what's your story in there? 2000, absolutely defense nightlife. So okay. I think it quickly became apparent how fun the nightlife is and was um i think there's two levels of it which is that full party mode but then it turns into long slog gotta get to the shift and there's this catch 22 i'm tired something to sort it out then i need to relax and i want to party and then i need to go to work and I need to... so my uh, it, it, you know it, i'm very open in the book about um i guess my addiction relationship so with drink and also drugs so for me it was very much it as escalated as fun um i i got arrested but i wouldn't say that was even I, I, it was a random search and i happened to have cocaine in my cigarettes um and was arrested for that and it meant that i got you know i got let go from my job and it was actually i think he was thinking that this was the best thing ever and actually turned out that the police had we're not going to, they told him the situation that my boss was letting me go and I was on a visa. And they said, well, look, we're not going to charge you. We're going right. to let you go. We'll go talk to the boss because we can't do that. Right. So I was like, okay. So <laughs> that kind of should have given me a reality check. It clearly didn't. And then I stepped away and then walked into my own clubs. And very much the stress, pressure, need to perform, the, the real... I would say addiction started when I started working for myself because first I had no boss, no one to right. say, hey, you've got to be here at X, Y, Z. You know, also, what are you doing? There's no one, I wasn't accountable to anyone. It was just me and I was creating these 
incredible experiences. Before and, before we jump straight up, up all, you yeah. know, all the way over there, let me ask you a question. Um, oh. You say accidental entrepreneur. Why? Yeah. Why accidental? I mean, from because I tumbled into it. Okay. It just tumbled, and I think I never sat down and went, "This is what I want to do, and this is how I want to." These are my 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 five year plans. I want to yeah. work for, work in the industry, open my own venue. It just all rolled, and it tumbled, and it grew. And I think the word accidental potentially might be a bit flippant um, because it's really difficult to sum up. I don't feel like an entrepreneur. I don't feel like someone who can go, hey, I'm someone who is a business professional in the nightlife industry. Although clearly I was. You know, I read back the book and go, how did you do all this? Um, But I never, I also think I want, it's accidental because I think it just rolled and it escalated and it just built momentum and momentum and momentum. And it also, um, it also kind of just, I think it just explains that it's, a lot of it is, it's not sheer luck, any of it, because I planned as I went, but there was no five-year plan. Right. I get it. Now, there's one part that's a little boring, but, you know, but you actually went through it with it, uh, which is actually getting money to do this, you know, putting putting money together to do something uh, like this. And I, if that was boring, that was a stripped-down version as well. It was tedious. <laughs> Right. I mean, because it's I mean, anybody that loves this industry, that's not something that we love. You know, that's not an area that we that we love at all. (laughs) It's something that I think about a lot, a lot. And I think about it now uh, more as an adult. Mm -hmm. I see myself now as an adult. I was definitely not an adult doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the chances now for people to open their own venues are almost slim to now. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but. In the UK and Australia, to to get any funds to open a nightlife venue, it's, it's impossible. It, it's almost impossible to get it because it's a high risk. They call it a high risk industry, but I guess we know it is. You know, because um, it's a financial, it's a roller coaster. And I think one thing I was lucky about is I got in early. Yeah. I got in before they started making it, but but literally to the day. When they started bringing in match funding, so it was like it was like we scraped together this money, um, pulling you know ten thousand dollars here, fifteen thousand here, maxing credit cards, using that to then get a loan, to use that to then get a bigger loan, and it and it built that way. And you know you can't do that now because they had really you know right. strict protocols and procedures and how you do it. But raising the capital was always a hard, was impossible, and we never could raise enough, so we were always going. Fingers crossed, we would run into a big, you know, we would build it so bang, we were busy and we had to be busy. Right. And raising the capital, um, we were lucky we met someone who was believed in us and believed that we were onto something different because we were pitching this mixed use venue. So it was this incredible uh, 18th century Turkish bathhouse. So a very small, beautiful, opulent, um, tiny building. It looks like something, like a tiny gingerbread house, like gorgeous. And then it went down and underneath was the big Turkish bathhouse, the big vaulted rooms or marble, and it just spread underground. And we said to them, instead of just having this nice 
because I, I, I had the idea of this amazing opulent kind of dinner cabaret burlesque, but like really progressive stuff. And then it had a 5 a.m. license. So really amazing club. So we then kind of turned the bank version on its head and said, okay, during the day we'll turn, which actually was my, you know, reception area, coat check, VIP kind of entrance, this beautiful um, entrance. But we said during the day we'll make it a cafe. We'll make pizza, pizza from there because it was in the middle of the city. And as soon as we started bringing food in, they were like, oh, okay, all right. You know, they, rather than building this hedonistic vision of really was what I was planning, um, the idea of str- we we played the game to get the money, right. um, but also I think you're committed to building food into. I think food is such an important like for now as a you know I love to go out for like a really cool meal, entertainment, later drinking right. dancing cocktails. That's amazing, but I think it's such that's a different experience to clubs, mm-hmm. and I Completely. find you. I knew how to run clubs, hardcore, get people through the door. It's exciting, electric, amazing. Food is another, another whole thing. So I think it was that double-edged sword. I'd love to see how much. How is, let me ask you something. I, I think I lost your voice there for a second. How, how is your um, relationship with the, that person that you say that uh, believed in you then? Is that something that still stands? Were you guys able to, you know, do well and continue that relationship or? Yeah. So it was actually, it was a person within an, um, in, like an institutional banking lending. So it was right. that, it was that relationship that got us the, the hook and then allowed us to do the next venue as well. So right. we were able to then go, hey, let's do this again, but a different version. But yeah. I guess the person that believed in me as well was my business partner. Um because he didn't have any industry experience. He didn't have any um, of the knowledge that I had quickly um, recruited over the period right. of time. About, so about I, how old were you when this was happening, by the way? So 28 is when okay. I started, 28, 29. 28, 29, and basically, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I used to be a door girl. I was DJed a little. I did some booking um, of some bands, you know, the experience was with one venue alone only basically or well not one venue but one owner um and different venues um so you know so your experience was that and then the other person did not have any you know that's right and Um, i would also now you're saying and i say this in the book it was so limited i was like oh i know everything about the industry I, i really know what i'm doing I, when I'm, I write in the book, I'm just like, I'm, as I write it, I was writing and I just look back and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, right. no, just stop. I was so far in. It was limited. You know, you've just kept it up. I was a girl who enjoyed going out. I'm a girl who enjoyed music and bands and socializing and connecting. Right. But but it, then, is, it is one of the most important, it is one of the most important parts of this industry. You know, in the end, is is that... That person. I mean, I was just recently watching the the Studio Fifty Four documentary on Netflix, and and yeah. um, I actually I'm listening to a lot of this, and it, I related to a lot of it, and now I'm listening to your story, and it relates yeah. too, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned that I believe that they're my pseudo parents, right? the guys, <laughs> Steve Rebel. <laughs> you know, to um, to, it, to yeah. me the fact that they were around for two years only I know. was a because I, I I never thought that I had a book. I felt like 
it was a, it was an exciting life and it was a roller coaster and I gripped on for you know for sheer will for so much of it and you know I hadn't watched the studio for or thought about it in, in in so long and it was only just when I was writing that I watched a documentary that recently came out and I just thought god yeah it's really it's just people who have creative visions right they make it happen and I think you know, my lack of experience was made up by ball and sheer determination to do something and also, like, absolute belief in my own creativity. Right. And that's what keeps me working now. It's creativity and these experiences and connections you have. And although I sorely miss it because there's something so amazing in club culture. Right. Um, you know, I, I do think it's special and I'm... I'm hoping that people can continue it because it's scary in these days. I think, I mean, there's an evolution. Things come back. And, and this, yeah. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with this whole issue now. But but I don't, you know, not forever. And we'll figure out new ways. If we end up having to, you know, build an outdoor way of doing this or whatever it may be, there will be some. It's about, and I think the whole industry is about, you know, you take it on, you adapt right. and you adjust because you right. have to. Correct. And it was like I was meant to be going on a tour, so I'm meant to be okay to tour this book. Mm -hmm. And it's all cancelled. Wow. You know, it's all cancelled. So I created with a designer an augmented reality actual book launch. So, you know, anywhere in the world people can enter my space. You know, it's got my special wallpaper, which I designed for the bathhouse. It's got all these amazing, you know, 360, all these thousands of disco balls. And, you know, and it's like people, I think if you're creative and you're determined, you will come over, overcome anything. And right. I think that's what this amazing night. I think a nightlife has this. It, it's a survivor. Right. Let me ask you something again, going back to to the woman issue, and yeah. it is a conversation I recently had, um, and I wanted to touch on it again because some people say, "Yeah, but I mean, those girls that are there, you know, they they have the same opportunities. They just don't take them." Um, I've been in it. I I know. I, I know that it's that is not really the case. Um, I do understand that a lot of the women are being looked, you know, for, you know, or, or added to the team for exactly that, you know, for the looks, yeah. for, you know, making sure the guys are having a good time, whatever, upselling, like you said, all those, all those yeah. things. Um, I've been around 30 years in the industry pretty much, and I have only worked with two female owners in 30 years okay yeah. um and one was married to the uh, to the partner basically yeah, right. <laughs> um the other one was a gm who became owner uh and, mm -hmm. and so it's super super rare and and man yeah. gms maybe three that's it you know yeah. in in all these years it is crazy um on the other hand Every time there's a problem, they're going to a wound to have to find a solution for that problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and you guys have what it takes. I, I I am trying myself to encourage more women to step up, you know, up the ladder ladder and, well, and you know I think that's your responsibility and it's everyone's to throw the ladder down. Right. Throw it down to the next person. How can we help? And I think for me, I think I survived because of my tenacity and it's my female in instinct, which is to, I created incredible club because I had this attention to detail, customer service, all of these tiny little things 
made these overwhelming experiences, but also as well, I threw the ladder down for other girls. And because when there was an opportunity to manage and help and promote, I would. But I have to also say something that people forget about and the reason why women don't get brought up into these larger roles is because we have children, right? And it doesn't go with my life. Right. Right. And I think people forget that. No one wants to say it, but it's like I was a female in a very small operation and even I was like, okay, if I hire someone for my marketing role, knowing in my mind that I'm going to have a baby soon, I'm like, what if they have a baby at the same time? There's going to be no one in the office. You know, and I'm a female. I'm trying to encourage this and I'm worried about well, I'm going to be on maternity leave. What if there's two people and, we're, and there's no one to work? And and I thought about it later in life. And I worked until I was eight and a half months pregnant and I was in the club, literally. Mm-hmm. I was on the phone, you know, up until I was literally, my waters broke. And because that was my club and I was, and the moment I stepped, I felt like every time I stepped away from the club, it was four to pieces. And it was because there was such small hubs of energy and creativity that they needed these performers, they needed the club photography to be totally combed perfect. And I think, you know, I had my my first and only child and I worked that club every day during that pregnancy. I've almost into a bin, you know, while I'm pregnant, there's someone puking in the club toilets doing right. whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? So it was a very and I wouldn't have done it for someone else's club. But it was my investment in my future. Yeah. And then, you know, once I had my baby, I then realized my husband took paternity leave. You know, he he took nine months off. So he had, I literally had my baby in three months. I went back to work, you know, and I had the luxury of him being able to do that. And then, but but then the moment he was back to work, my baby's at work with me. She's, you know, we're there during the day. She's in about the laundering marketing plans, you know. I literally ships in the night I'd rush home after doing the day in the office with him with my little girl and then my husband would come home we'd pass each other in the night I was like there you go and I'd run it all ready for work right the last thing you feel like doing when you've got a baby under you you know one years off going to a nightclub working and then I come up six o'clock wake up she's awake so it's it was so intense um but there has to be other ways for women to be able to work not not just this industry, any industry, and I think in general, right? In general, I think there's why that's why there's not women in these these top level roles because they they require so much energy, commitment, and it's not that when you have a baby you don't have these things. They're just such they're both such big commitments. So I think you know finding a way to support women after they have children, they would still be in the industry. Right, but it, you know, it's finding that balance of going, okay, let's get all these girls from these roles if they're interested. You've got to be passionate. Right, it's also a great way to earn cash while you're at uni. Right, you know, so I know that you did your, you know, your fair share of partying before you got into it and while you were in it. Um, yeah, and, and I know you've had some fun times, met some fun people that you'll tell us about a little bit <laughs> also. But um, how much? should people control like if, if the, you know and i'm not talking about women only in general in this industry um what do you think people should really be doing now that you are an adult like you say <laughs> um 
is there anything you know or or do you think you would do everything exactly the same way you know and uh, or, or would you try to maybe you know slow it down a little bit on that yeah. so i've had this conversation okay. in my head my husband over time and i think it there's you know you can't go back and change anything right um but i go back and i think what would have been different if i changed and i think it's a double-edged sword i feel like i plowed i mean the party there, there was two different careers there the party party girl i wouldn't change any of that because i did all these cool you know, when I was promoting and booking, all of that stuff went hand in hand. And I think, if anything, my party benefited that connections and relationships. But then, from a um, business owner, I think, look, going back, if I'd done it sober, which I now have the power of, I feel like there's so much strength in that. But I also think you know, drugs and alcohol fuels the drive to keep going. I had to keep going. There's so many opportunities where I wasn't able to give up. I had to do another day. I had to do, I had to firefight another problem. And look, I think if you handed me a cup now, I'd be able to smash it out of the park. I would now thoroughly enjoy it. But I think that I think they're so intertwined and I don't think there's a level of I think if you can separate your work life and then party life, I think that's hmm. my, I guess my, would be my only advice to a former self. And I, you know, I didn't party at work. I just kind of methodically got through with whatever the tools I needed. Right. But I think I got through it with, um, you know, a level of addiction that kind of was functioning. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until later that I kind of realized that these habits that I picked up weren't serving me and they're actually damaging me. Right. Damaging for the rest of my life. Definitely. How long has it been since you're, you've been out of ownership? Yeah. So I've been out for um, four years. Four years. I know you're still, you know, doing, you know, you're in the industry in a way because you're producing events and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Um, but do you miss that smell? Yeah. I miss the um, sounds, the, the punch in your heart. Yes. Yeah. Really loud sound. And I didn't realize I missed that till about a year ago when I realized the loudness and the moment where you can't hear anyone else talk and it's so loud and the vibration and walking through that club when it's all going well, you can't beat it. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's part of it I miss every day, but there's part of it I'm very happy to hand over to the next generation. Right. Right. So, yes, you know, in, in a way, and by the way, a lot of what you're saying uh, relates to my story. You know, I started when I was 18 as a promoter. Uh, Money-wise, $50 my dad gave me to start the bank, to open the bank account pretty much. Uh, ended up owning 10 different clubs um uh here and on one in colombia um colombia we were just investors there was other people running it which was probably one of the funnest things to do to just watch <laughs> others run it <laughs> they were four recovered alcoholics that were running it as a matter of fact yeah. um yeah, but they did a great job say that again did they do a good job they did an amazing job yeah i imagine i mean one of the best things was the fact that they never drank any of my liquor <laughs> that's the best and I think I think that's something I look back on, and I and I mentioned this in the book. There's so many amazing 
managers out there and it's like if they could just not let their life their party life and the influences of the industry right per- permeate and penetrate their work they'd be brilliant but then i'm like i'm the worst you right. know and it's like i think back now it's so life is easier without drinking alcohol nightclubs would be easier and i think right. the idea of having four ex-alcoholics running a venue would be my dream right <laughs> Yeah. And um, so now I have three kids, you know, um, and I basically what I've been doing lately is helping people, um, you know, learn about the industry, not lose what, you know, the old school soul of it. And 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 yeah. and, you know, just just keep it fun and, and making sure that they learn from our mistakes as much as as, sure. as you know, we can help uh, not lose it, because I hear so many things that are in the direction of the nightlife disappearing i mean yeah. I, I always see it as an evolution of it but um you know but i just i just i mean it's not going to go back to what it was not meaning that it's not going to be good it may end up being yeah. better for the new yeah. gener- you know for them every generation is going to be in love with something different you know as, as i think that this generation do want something different oh 100 and, it, and it's their aspirations are different but also their lifestyle choices are really different this yes. generation uh yeah. we were all about alcohol and humanism they're very much also into health wellness right a lot of um millennials don't you know they choose not to drink and i think there is going to be and this is the brilliant thing is that there's all these different people who come up through the night and they want different things and hopefully it will evolve um but one thing i think though is that I've still got a lot of friends who have venues in the UK and they're just, a lot of them have made it through by adapting, um, but a lot of them are just falling by because, you know, increasing rents. If you're in areas like, you know, somewhere like Shirley Duke London, which is, it was very much like a downtown LA, so it was very underground and people have these small venues and then developers will come in and then the price rises and you can't keep, we all know when, when you've got a great sweet spot in a club, you, there is definitely a lot of money to make. But if this is a passion and you're starting it on maybe a shoestring budget, it's your an owner operator, the margins are tight. Mm-hmm. And right. I think the moment that something like someone increases the rent, your capacity gets minimized by the you know police and council, whatever, everything you, you have, you're constantly dodging and moving every single day to a new set of rules. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, let's hope everybody, you know, comes out on the right side of this. Um, definitely. It's I not, think it's, maybe they'll be more inspired and more passionate about something yes. that's been momentarily taken away from them. And I, mm-hmm. I, I just actually wrote, a, I just wrote an article about this, about, you know, is this the curtain call on the night? And I don't think it is. I think as we know it, but I think potentially this time away mm-hmm. might reignite this flame of like, People going, that's right, I like to go out. You know, people are sitting at home on the couch drinking red wine these days. Right. But I, maybe those dynamic cool cocktail bars and people wanting to see live music, like hopefully will re-inspire them is what I'm hoping for the oh, next. For sure. You know, one of the good things, I was actually thinking about this the other day, um, is the playing, you know, the, the field is being leveled again. So it's kind of like, yeah. okay, it's redo, restart, and everybody is has the same you know chips on the table very Um, interesting you know Mm -hmm. so so who knows who may come up with the greatest idea at this moment in time 
You know? Also as well, these quiet times allow people to think, create, re you know, reshuffle what are their plans. It might be that they go, Hey, I think there's a you know, there's a need for this or a want for this and I think I know this time has given me um, a breather from real life and I've come up with these new directions that I'm taking my life and new experiences and creative ventures and I think sometimes you don't have space or time to come up with these. What's the alternative? What right. if we didn't go to normal? What does that look like? And I hope that everyone comes out having time to think and maybe just re reshuffle. Right. Well, Tava, um, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Um, and I want, to, before we go, for you to tell um, everybody out there, you know, one last thought, one last you know, piece of advice to anybody who's out there, especially a woman who's thinking, yeah. who's thinking of maybe, you know, getting into this you know, strong, really, maybe becoming yeah. an owner one day and building their own thing, you know? Look, I think my piece of advice for any females interested in the industry is be better than your male counterparts. You know, be brilliant and be passionate and believe in yourself. And no, because the thing is, I turned all of this around because I just purely said, I'll do that job put my hand up and I did it, but I made sure I studied what's the market doing, what's the industry doing, who are the people I can use for inspiration, aspiration, and looking to who is doing really exciting things, learn, watch, look, listen, put yourself out there, but be brilliant. Don't just expect it all. Like that sense of entitlement, well, I should deserve a chance because I'm a female in this industry. That's, that Don't rest on those laurels. You need to be active and really engage and believe believing yourself that is a good piece of advice uh tava o'halloran queen of clubs Take, tell me about the book before we go a little okay. bit so it's very much a white knuckled strap in binge read i've been told but i've also been told that it needs to be made into a movie so let's see oh boy. um and who, basically... who, who would play you <laughs> who knows <laughs> Um, basically, it's a journey through the three main themes are drugs, nightclubs, and love. So all the way through this, you have all of these incredible club adventures, and they are from the, the great glamorous parts, but also the reality is blocked toilets, bins, recycling, rotoring, all of those things that you actually don't think about the funny nitty-gritty details from behind the scene. What happens on the other side of the, you know, the swing door where the busboys go? It's all of the behind-the-scene action as well as all the glittery, glorious parts. Right. And then it kind of goes through this journey of addiction and it also has a love story through it. There you go. So I imagine they all intertwine. They all do. And <laughs> as I, um, you know, my creative partner is also my husband, who at the time was a DJ, now he's a music producer. So, you know, there's a happy ending. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> um, where can people get it? Amazon. There you go. I'll give you a link to get it directly. All right. Awesome. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add it to my website also so that people can find it there. It's only my book. Usually, I'm not even going to bring my book up in this episode because wow. I want to make sure people get yours. Um, I, I like the story. I'm gonna and I want to read it. I want to get it in my hands very soon. Yeah. <laughs> also, well, you can pop in there my details. If any, you know, if there's any females that have questions, they can absolutely shoot them through. Awesome. 
Awesome. Guys, again, thank all of you for watching. And um, uh, is there anywhere they can follow you or anything? Just, you know. Yeah, on Instagram, um, at Queen of Clubs book. Q-O-C. Awesome. Tava, again, thank you so much. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.